good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight and England. And joining me from across the pond is a man that always makes me say Amsterdam <sighs> whenever I see him. I've been trying to think of a play on words and I'm failing. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I am doing okay, Matt. How are you doing? I was doing really well. I'm not going to lie, John. Uh, as we said off air, today's just been a day. You know, it's kind of come and gone and all leading up to talking about tonight's film. Until about 20 minutes ago, when John Burke says, I'll be there shortly, you know, at our usual time. He's going to be on time as always. He's just stopping off at his usual haunt, Dunkin' Donuts, to get a coffee, a quote-unquote coffee. And this son of a gun turns up at home with six donuts, having only ordered two. And he knows that his UK brother over here loves a Dunkin' Donut. I said to him, it feels like a slap in the face to your uh, to your your brother across the pond here. John, tell us, tell me about <laughs> these donuts, please. I mean, not much to tell. Um, they were good, uh, though. I ordered two. They were really backed up today, which is unusual. Like, usually our Dunkin', I, especially at this time of day, it's just me going through the drive-thru if I'm getting something. Um, I often will get a coffee before a recording just to, you know, a little pick me up uh, for the rest of the evening, and I'm going to hit a movie after this. So I like to make sure I'm going to be awake, you know. Nice. Um, and today, uh, my daughter is home, so I ordered her a sweet tea because she likes the sweet tea from from that place. And I was like, you know what? I'll just get us each a donut. So I added two donuts. I did an online order, thinking, you know, I'll pull up, tell them it's me, get my stuff because especially last week they messed up my order, so I didn't want. Usually they do a better job if it's online. But there was a bunch of cars there and I've already committed. I've already paid. So like, I'm like, well, I got to do this now. I just got to wait. And I don't know what was, if someone ordered like actual food, like if they were getting breakfast sandwiches or something, cause usually afternoon people are getting drinks or uh, you know, a donut. That's it. Like you're just in and out. Um, but it, there was like six cars and it just took forever. Um, and when I got up to the, the, the thing, she was like, she clearly had lost my order cause she had made my coffee, but it was like, is this it? I'm like, no, like there's a sweet tea and two donuts, which she did nothing to confirm any of this. So I'm glad I was not a liar, but I was like, um, she's like, what donuts? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, it's whatever. And then she came back with like a six pack. She's like, I threw a couple extra. I'm like, thank you. Uh, yes. so like two glazed donuts, two, uh, ice donuts, and then a, uh, like a chocolate cake donut with like, they were like Halloween decorated. So it had like spider web outline on it and like a white icing, which was good. And then a uh, blueberry donut, which, underrated donut i think i think the blueberry donuts are quite good i'm gonna go with you on that one my friend um i know of a place nearby i know a place not far from here that does blueberry and peanut butter donuts which Ooh. on first first thought sounds disgusting is However, that together is that one it, donut it is together john oh that does and, sound weird but the sweet, savoury, the kind of mix of both. The, oh, come on. It's like, it's like an artisan kind of place. So it's a bit, mm. um, you pay a little bit more, which I don't usually like doing uh, yeah, on yeah. something like a donut. But um, I heard about it and I was like, I'll try this. I've got to try it. Very, very nice. I'm, I'll get one soon and I'll do a, what's it called? A cross section. I'll cut it yes. in half. I'll put it on the BAMP socials. Uh, and, and, those, and those in the know, you know, the real ones will know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, Blueberry Man, I, I, I agree. That is a... An underrated donut of choice. Just just before we move on, if you could only have one donut for the rest of your life, you have mm. to have it. What are you picking? Oh, that's that is a tough one. It's tough. I mean, do you go with consistency? Do you go with like like I'm a big fritter fan. It's like if that counts, like an apple fritter Ooh. or uh, whatever. I do like the pumpkin donuts, which they never have. So it'd be nice to like know I was going to have one forever. 
Um, and then you you know the cream filled are always delicious, right? Like like uh, whether it's a vanilla cream or like a Bavarian cream, like Ugh. Boston cream, all of those are really good. Uh, man, I I don't. I'll, you know, I'm going to go with the, there's a lot of places now that are doing like cereal dip donuts and I'm a big fan of Fruity Pebbles. So a Fruity Pebbles donut, uh, I, there was a place in Daytona that I went to over the summer. I think it was a blueberry dipped in fr- uh, Fruity Pebbles like donut and that Damn. was real good. So I'm going to go with that one. Oh man, I don't know what I'd go for because I'd have them all. A Boston cream is 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 a standard, but it's a gold standard for me. Um, I also like an apple and cinnamon donut. As much as I love oh. uh, a chocolate or vanilla, I also I I quite like the savoury stuff as well. Despite having the sweetest tooth known to man, when the day comes when I descend on Florida, John Burke will not know it hits him with the sweet <laughs> tooth that I'm going to bring. But I I also enjoy a very like a really good apple and cinnamon one and the pumpkin ones as well. But I think if I was pushed to it, I'd probably not have any of those and have a. I think I would have. I oh, know I'd have a Boston cream, yep. Chocolate on top. All right. Cream in the middle. Fairly standard. Rock and roll ready to go. Um, but we'll find out if tonight's film was a Boston cream or not. Uh, tonight we are talking about, in full non-spoiler terms, Amsterdam. And again, for those who haven't uh, seen Amsterdam, we're not going to spoil the film. We're going to do that in a few days' time in our spoiler review, so fear not. Uh, it's written and directed by David O. Russell. And it stars a lot of people, but to kind of condense it down, Christian Bale as Bert Berenson, Marco Robbie as Valerie Vose, John David Washington as Harold Woodsman, Chris Rock as Milton King, Anya Taylor-Joy as Libby Vose, Zoe Saldana as Irma St. Clair, and Mike Myers as Paul Canterbury. For those who have seen the film, yes, we know that's not everyone. It's just the first ones we pulled off. Um, the synopsis from IMDb says, In the 1930s, Three friends witness a murder. They're framed for it and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. Now, (laughs) critically and um, with the fans, with the audience, this film is currently sitting at 32% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics, 59% audience score. Uh, Metascore has it at 48. It's got a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb with the user score. And Letterbox currently 2.6 out of five so judging by those metrics not entirely loved and if you look at the box office that would be uh they would back that up this film is on course to lose nearly a hundred million dollars apparently but if you do want to go and watch it and help the box office out it's only available currently in theaters uh so let's get into this like we like the synopsis says this is based on the uh kind of true well it is a true story but it's you know it's, yeah. it's exaggerated somewhat but none of the character names are yes. correct none of the characters are true are, are real the um they're they're fictional but it's but the actual the whole idea of this plot which what which is the i can't remember what the actual title is called the new york something rather but basically the plan is the the this commission of five very wealthy businessmen want to basically install a dictator in the uh in the form or face of kind of like in Mussolini in charge of the, of the United States kicking out FDR and basically it would just change everything we ever know about the world if this was to happen um now this film kind of deals with characters who become embroiled in it it's as we mentioned it's David O Russell um separating the art from the artist and all that david o russell's films are i'm generally generally a fan of i, I think they're fa- fairly up and down but i like the majority of them 
Um, and his, I kind of, I can't, I don't mind his directorial style. There is kind of like a manic energy to his films as there is to, to him as a person by the sounds of it, but I'm not necessarily going to get drawn into his kookiness or awfulness off camera because that's a, that's a chat for another time. Let it be known. Mm. I think he's a bit of an idiot, but, and this film as well, Telling you something, JB, so much happens in this film. It's not just got a huge cast. The cast is stacked. It's got one of the most impressive cast I've seen in years. Yeah. But so much happens. But at the same time, it doesn't really feel like anything does, if that makes any sense, because the pacing is weird. The tone, tonally, this film is very, very odd. And I wasn't a fan, John. Do you know what I mean? I, it, it, I, there was, I struggled at times with the story because it is so layered and convoluted where you've got characters who are kind of thrust in for these smaller roles uh, and then they disappear and then maybe don't always have the most to do with the overarching plot. And then you've got the the main plot with the three main characters played by Washington, Robbie and Bale and what they're doing and how it interweaves with the others. And we go back in time and then we go forward. And then I wasn't a huge fan narratively of this. I don't think it's particularly well written either. Mm. What I will say is I think it's well acted. I do think it's well acted. Yeah. I think there's, I, I don't think anyone can knock the actors here. They're all giving uh, the performance that the director wants them to give. I think Christian Bale is very good in this film. I'd heard that he was not great. I thought he was pretty damn good really? in this film, actually. Yeah, I had. Yeah, I I I'd heard he wasn't good, but I think he's. I think he's pretty damn good. Margot Robbie is. Um, Margot Robbie is good. I don't think this is her best role. Not necessarily performance, mind. Um, John David Washington, I find, I feel there was something about his performance that felt flat. And I know he's not the most charismatic of actors per se, but I think Which he's is real wild. Yeah. Given who his yeah. godfather yeah. is. And I love him as an, I genuinely think he is a talent and a half, but yeah. I think he was just, he was fine in this film. And the, the people who come in and out for me are uh, a mixed bag. No one is bad, but there are some characters like the ones that, uh, Matteo Chernotz and Alessandra Nivola play these cops. I like those two together. I think they were really good. But then Zoe Saldana, through no fault of her own, kind of gets tossed to the side a little bit and That's, feels a yeah, bit not, wasted. It, she's constantly wasted, and it's such a shame. It's like if she's not in some kind of CG character or, like, colored character, as in uh, like Gamora, um, she's, like, a, she's always tossed aside. She's so good in everything. I'm just like, yep. please put her in the forefront of a story because I don't, because in the scenes she gets, I think her and Bale have so much chemistry. It's a great scene between them, isn't there? Yeah. And like, and it's just, it's like more of that. Why don't we have more of that? It, uh, so frustrating. That's Sorry. What I, no, no, you're quite right. JB. Yeah, that's what happens though. When you throw so many people in one film, sometimes you can get it right. Like your knives out and other films, because mm-hmm. everybody maybe apart from Jaden, Martel gets gets something to do. Yeah, he's um, not in that movie much. He, no, he's basically in the toilet doing teenage boy stuff. Um, <laughs> but here, the, 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 I don't want to sound like I'm going to crap on the film completely. What I will say, you know, top level is I wasn't a fan of this film, and about halfway through, I did think, oh god, I hope there's not long left because I'm on. I, I never walk out of films, and I never will do. But I had the urge to, and it's two hours twenty minutes long, and the film is so sluggishly paced at times despite it having that manic energy i can't you have to see the film do you know what i mean it felt so damn long and another thing about the cast is because i recognize their faces it did kind of take me out a little bit like when when your andy taylor joy turns up or when rami malik turns up i just kind of found myself thinking oh look there's rami malik 
especially when Chris Rock was on on screen, pretty much just playing Chris Rock. I th- it, it took me out of what was happening an awful lot. But there are good there are there are good moments in this film, John. I think the film looks great. Emmanuel Lebeski is the cinematographer, yeah, and he he was the dude who won three Oscars in a row for Gravity, Birdman, and The Revenant for his DOP. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic and it, it does look great the set design costume design production design is very good the intention to detail is there but the story just loses me i don't know if it's a comedy a thriller an espionage a drama a mystery i don't quite know what it is i'm watching and there are good moments like i say that there's, there's there's a song in there called the nonsense song which i think is a nice moment in the film um i think the the main three have a good bond and I believe their connection, you know, I, I believe it. And the journey they go on together and the paths they take, I, I felt, I felt something there because of their performances more <laughs> less than the writing. But I don't know, Jay, but it's very subtle, dry comedy, which didn't always work for me. Um, some of the cameo, they felt like cameo. Some of the cast felt a little bit wasted or quite a lot, quite wasted a lot for lack of any decent English, but it was, it was just a handsomely, nonsense film for me jb it's not one which i'm going to revisit and in in the lexicon of david o russell's films it's one of the lesser ones for me still better than huckabee's but it's one of the uh lesser films for me but yeah i i, I was wasn't the biggest fan john but very interested to hear what you think because i have no idea what you think about this film um i uh didn't i didn't hate it um but mm-hmm. I also didn't love it. I, I did like I like Christian Bale a lot. I think one of the biggest flaws of a movie like this is the meeting of Harold and Bert, um, the John David Washington character and Christian Bale, makes where the the regiment that is predominantly a black regiment, with mm-hmm. the exception of Bale, created and then made to wear the French soldier uniforms that we don't get right away. Feels like John David Washington should be our main character. Like yeah. when that is a major plot detail, and then you make the white guy the major character. It's like maybe you're not seeing the story the way you're supposed mm-hmm. to be seeing it because that's no hear that. And so I think making him the lead also because he is a little bit more bland and uh, I think that's the character. Even I do think John David Washington has proven he's a he's a flat type character which has worked really well in black Klansman, where he's you know playing an undercover cop and then tenet where he's he's kind of this like obscure figure that we don't fully grasp until the end of the movie if you make him this blank slate protagonist and then you have all this colorful characters around him like christian bale and uh anya taylor joy being very weird towards robert de niro and you know you get rami malik in those scenes I think he it would bounce off of him better where Bale is hilarious. I think Bale's doing some great comedy in this. Yep. Subtle not, facial acting as well. Yes, exactly. It's I not like the writing. It. It's it's Bale. Like Bale is giving the entertainment. Um Yeah, absolutely. And I do think there's some really weird choices with like the narration, like not the narration, but the narrative, like you said, and then just in general, like certain scenes, you're like, why, why this? Like, why are we sitting through this? The narration uh, I found to be a little bit tedious as well. Well, and then because they mix narrators too, like if it's Bale telling the story, we shouldn't hear any other voiceover narration. If it's a true ensemble, then we should be cutting back and forth more frequently. And we don't, it's almost abandoned. Um, and that there's a lot of little like structural problems. I think the movie suffers from, um, I do think the story inherently is engaging though. And that's, like, cause I didn't know this story. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm intrigued how much of this is true and how much of this is false. Like I had heard 
oh, Russell apparently at like a press conference said it's like the truest story ever. And then clearly it's not the truest story mm-hmm. ever because there's a lot of discrepancies from the actual story. Uh, he took a lot of liberties. Real. Characters are made up and fabricated. Um, and, and, you know, um, I actually Malik has been up and down for me throughout his films. I liked him a lot in this. I thought he was really an interesting performance. Um, and I've always Anya Taylor joy. Just, I don't think she can do wrong. I I've seen a lot of her movies and whether her she's parts great. big or small, she's just always on point. Um, I will say without spoiling anything, Taylor Swift casting threw me off. Like I had not realized she was in this until I was watching it. And I was like, Oh, Taylor Swift. That's weird. I wonder why they picked her. And then something happened. And I was like, oh, that explains it. It was yeah. it was stunt casting. Um, was, what happens to her is pretty much what's happening to her film career, given her given the film she's been in recently. Yeah. And I don't think she's bad in this, mind you. Like, nope. she doesn't get a whole lot to do, like we said, with some other, you know, notable, more talented. Michael Shannon's in this movie, barely. Um, it is, it's still very jarring to get to see Mike Myers back in films because he did kind of vanish for a while. And he's still doing, like, so much so much i don't know if it's wigs or if he's actually dyeing his hair like it's like dude you could just be mike myers like you don't have to like go full costume every time like this isn't austin powers although he does look a lot like young basil exposition um you know like so close to the old like to basil like oh he's become basil all right and he kind of is in this role he is basically just here to give exposition um to christian bale's character um yeah, you know, there's there's definitely some good stuff in this. Uh, there are some really cool sequences, and um, and yet there are parts where you're just like, well, this this seems excessive. Like w- when you get the full picture of what the story is, there's definitely scenes where you're like that doesn't need to be in this movie to tell the story that you're telling. That feels like a side story. Like most mm-hmm. of the Amsterdam stuff feels irrelevant to the actual story that we're here to hear. You know, it's like. It's this, remember Amsterdam? Yep, that was good times. All right, we're going to spend like 25 minutes there. We'll have no actual relevance on the plot outside of that's kind of where their friendship is formed. But like you could have done that as a prologue. Like, hey, he saved, we saved each other during the war. Cool, now we work together. That's it. That's all you need to tell the mm-hmm. story that you're telling. Um, and the, the stuff like that does, it, it wears on me because it's like, it, are we telling Bert's story or, or are we just telling a story where these characters are kind of adjacent to it and we're just going to kind of like show you how it's almost life of brian-esque in a way you know where like it's not really about brian it's kind of about jesus but we're not going to focus on jesus we're going to just show in the background jesus is over here it's like oh so this stuff is happening that looks pretty interesting can we learn that like no no we're gonna no no, no. you focus on this yeah we're gonna focus on this thing over here that's less important but will somehow loosely tie into this like oh all right okay thanks david or russell um and you know for his probable last film given the nature of the things that are being accused of him uh not the best one to end on i i have i have not seen some of his other popular ones um i'm very lukewarm on american hustle though i like silver linings playbook i like joy more than a lot of people i think joy's Um, okay yeah this is one of my favorite jennifer lawrence performances and that's you know, because I'm up and down on her performances as well. I think she's really good in Joy. And then, um, I really I liked I Heart Huckabees, like a lot. Like I, I Heart Huckabees is up high for me. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of I Heart Huckabees. Um, I like the fighter. I think that's good. Three Kings has his moments. 
I need um, to see. I've not seen either of those. <laughs> those are two. Uh, that yeah, I the, need to watch. the fighter. You know, I like. You know me. I think that's the one Christian Bale won his Oscar for, which I actually forgot he won an Oscar, which is um, bad on me. Yeah, I didn't realize um, it was for that. I know he's won. I knew he won something, but I guess I forget which. But it's it's, it's funny though. Again, because without going into any of the misdemeanors, whatever the case, whatever David O. Russell is or is alleged to be, it hasn't stopped him from. Uh, creating or collecting some of the biggest names in film and, and just in this film let alone his other films there's uh, something to be said there I'm pretty sure but that's what surprised me the most was just who was in this film given that you know these historical as we see misdemeanors were are, are fairly well known so uh, I found that interesting but Christian Bale is a long time Russellist um, yeah, he's he had is. his ups and downs with him um, which are well publicised as well but um yeah i i wanted to like this film more john but i it kind of felt like i don't know maybe it, you could have split this into chapters an uh, anthology-esque or something and it maybe would have flowed better and you could have maybe mm. got the story over a little bit because it felt like vignettes or you could have done a short film for this you could have cut a lot of it out and i don't mean that to be you know classic bamp well it needs to be shortened not everything does but i do think this is just it's just so convoluted and even in a runtime like this, it, I don't think it gets its historical particularly well. So maybe, you know, segment it up a little bit, make it into shorter, friendlier uh, vignettes, uh, like the French Dispatch. I didn't like that film, but in those kind of stylings where it all, all kind of plays into what itself. But I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful looking film, It's uh, but it is a disappointment. And I'm not, again, whilst I never want to champion a film not doing well, because that's just stupid, you know, to see an $80 million f- budgeted film currently sitting at under 12 million in the box office is a huge flop which kind of also has something to say about star power is this a revolt against a director or are people not interested in these star laden vehicles anymore jb or was it just the marketing wasn't good well i you know uh tuna posted a, a tweet about that um i think he said something along the lines of uh they marketed the wrong part of the film and i think that's mm-hmm. kind of true um yeah. i actually thought this was another three king style story based on the marketing like i thought this was going to be a heist movie where like they yes. met in amsterdam they hit a bunch of stuff and now this was them getting it back and especially because they like they really focus on like them being accused of things so i thought they were like going to be quote unquote the bad guys who like are they good guys do you root for them do they rob from the rich none of that right like and again the movie doesn't the trailer didn't say that but just the way it was cut together and like the references to yeah like we met we met back here we made a pact the pact is just like we're gonna be friends forever like that's it's a bff pact that's it there's no like there's nothing in it outside of that and it's like well what that's stupid like no i mean if the movie's about friendship cool it's not though it's it isn't about them at all it's about being Uh, framed for a murder and then trying to and then also trying to uh, investigate who really did it and stumbling across a massive yeah. plot to change the united states and again pigeonholing them into like that they're they're forcing this friendship story into it because th- there is a weird coincidence type like oh we were friends and then now we are like we are friends again because circumstances have put us back together kind of but not really like it's and again, even more to my point about John David Washington needing to be Harold should be the main character because the love story in the movie that is actually focused on is the one with him and Margot Robbie. Yep. Like the Christian Bale love story is like a it's a it's a nuisance, you know, because he's married and there's a struggle and then there's oh, this man. other thing. 
but it's not like the focus. And as we've said, Zoe Saldana, not in the movie very much. Um, and neither wife, is uh, Andrea Riceborough, who is Christian Bale's wife. Like neither of them are in the film that the much. Yeah, yeah, and no, no diss to them. Again, I think overall, I actually thought most of the performances were really good. Chris Rock, yeah. I don't think Chris Rock is bad, but Chris Rock is just doing Chris Rock. He's yeah, just exactly. doing like stand up and stuff, and so it does feel jarring uh, at times because he does kind of just like break into like routines, um, which is what they they keep making him do that. Like in Lethal Weapon Four, I think is the one he's in, and he just like breaks into his stand up bits like in the movie. It, it's just a thing that they do to if if it's not one of Rock's predominant people he works with they seem to just like oh you're a stand-up comedian we'll just have your character do stand-up in the middle of the street for even some in reason. his yeah. own film spiral the book of soul which he produced even in that yes there's just this really poorly the opening timed sequence landing jokes yeah yes oh man you're so right uh yeah it's it's he can do more i've seen chris rock act he's actually not a bad actor no, I but like they him. Keep, yeah they but they keep writing him into this like you're just gonna be chris rock we're not going to actually let you be a character just poke at him saying like be funny be funny yeah yeah that's there, what it feels are, like right there are kind of like war subtext as well on this with, with um uh, obviously john david washington and marco robbie their interracial relationship will not fly at this time so they have to get out of the country christian yeah. bale's character is a jew so there's certain parts of the world at this time uh, in the time that we're at where yeah. he can't obviously be uh but at the same time his fa- his wife's family sent him to war in the first place because they're anti-Semites and they pretty much want him to die. So uh, there are some kind of, there, there are subtexts like that underneath it. Again, probably more interesting than some of the things we actually get in the film, but there's, mm-hmm. t- there's a lot of layers to this film where characters come in. Uh, like we mentioned, Robert De Niro's character, even like Anya Taylor Joel, like you say, is just crushing on him, which is very odd. Um, but he's a handsome man. His mm-hmm. character comes in like that and the struggle for, um well where, where where his character ends up going and even like the and even the other characters that we haven't mentioned I mean, you mentioned mike myers of course and he and michael shannon are kind of these uh they work together in intelligence and yeah i, I didn't recognize timothy oliphant he's just kind of there um they, and rami malik i thought was good in this film and uh, begley's junior is fine it's just <sighs> Yeah, it could have been a really, really, really tight film. I just think David O. Russell went was got far too indulgent uh, with his with his own uh, imagination, and his own storytelling, and it was a this one is a flop for me. Now, do I do, do I think it it would lose almost a hundred million dollars? No, I would have. To be honest, I did think maybe Star Power could push this one over the maybe not to 80 million dollar but you know i thought it could get you know, 40 million maybe or 50 million tops by the end of its run um and obviously casting someone like taylor swift hasn't got the swifties in like they'd hoped um but she again she i think she is uh actually quite decent and she is she is a decent actress it's uh and she holds her own against the character she the the actors that she's against but uh, yeah, I, there, there was a, there was a lot that was expected of this film. I was very excited for this film when it was yep. announced, especially when they dropped that poster not so long ago with the cast. But um, yeah, not not for me this time, JB. And it seems like yeah. you are slightly higher than me. I think just a little bit. I like in my rating system, I would say this is like not a total waste of time because I did enjoy the performances. And yeah, uh, same. I was there were moments where I was a little bored, but like. I was intrigued by it because I, again, I didn't know a lot about this. I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty wild to think about uh, without getting into what I'm talking about. But like, I did, I was like, I didn't know this. This is pretty crazy. Um, And more though, 
it's I always find it odd when they do a true story with different character names and then they show the real character at the end. Come on, yeah. really, or the real person. I'm like, well, why, why change the name then? Like, like that you can show the, the, there's a juxtaposition where you're seeing from the film and then you're seeing the real life thing. And it's like, why change it? Yeah. Like, what's the motivation to change it then? If you're going to actually just show it here. Cause I was expecting to have to like Google it and then read like, you know, cause people will write articles where they compare the real thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you, Very they didn't really have to, cause they kind of show it at the end. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I at least know that speech is, pretty close to accurate but that's about it but um yeah well i, I if on the spot i'd probably give it five and a half out of ten because i think the performances are great the production costume and sets are good but the story wasn't and i don't think this i don't think the story was bad enough to push it below middle of the road but uh, because i think the rest of it is quite strong so um amsterdam is a film if I was going to say, I'd say wait to wait for streaming unless you really want to save its box office and it looks like it is sinking without a trace. But uh, we'll be back with our spoiler review of Amsterdam on Monday. But until then, we're going to move on to our next segment, which we call Chuffed Headlines. It's the movie and pop culture news that caught our attention and we share it with all of you guys. So, John, what have you gone for this week? Well, I saw something that caught my eye for you. Oh, I've um, just seen. And uh, it's that... They, they've been talking, of course, forever. They always want to... Hollywood wants to bring back IP whenever they can, right? And the Exorcist reboot has been on the, the books for a minute. I feel like, at least. Maybe I'm wrong. Well. David Gordon Green is apparently the one who's who's doing this, but Ellen Burstyn's supposed to still be in it. Um, and it's supposed to start filming in a couple of weeks. Now, I think if we were talking about this right after Halloween 2018, you and I would both be like, ooh... Yes. Well, he did such a cool thing with 2018's Halloween. Maybe The Exorcist will be able to do something good. And I, I didn't. I don't know for sure if this is a full reboot or if we're doing the same. It's, uh, yeah. it's a legacy sequel, so it, it is, is a legacy sequel. So the first one happened. To part one. Okay, which is kind of what I expect now. That seems to be the new trend with uh, horror reboots, uh, specifically horror. Really seems to have latched onto the the legacy sequel thing. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, six years ago would have been pretty hyped four years ago. Sorry. I would have been pretty hyped. I'm like, okay. But then we saw kills last year. Jesus. Definitely makes me hesitate. But then, but then, and I was going to save this because of, we're going to mention this other movie, Halloween ends that comes no. out this weekend. We're going to be reviewing next week on the podcast. I don't know if you've seen, but big tuna loved the new one is raving. Are about you the new kidding one, in fact. I am not. And the catch is though, I don't think he liked the 2018 one that much. Right. So it still could be that we hate ends and <laughs> tuna has liked the weird swing that it has done. So I'm still on the fence about Gordon green as a reboot specialist because kills was so bad. I don't, even if ends is great still, unless he does something miraculous, I don't see how he justifies the middle movie of the trilogy because the, the middle movie is currently terrible and granted yes. if we're looking at it as a four movie thing because 78 but of gordon green's directed trilogy i i don't know how you justify kills existence because it is real bad and more importantly to me is the way kills ended does not make sense that we're skipping ahead four years in ends because we should be picking up right where it left off yep. because it left off mid scene in my opinion like it was not resolved when the movie ended in kills like there's like nope no we need to still deal with this there's still a problem right here um it's like smog at the end of the hobbit the second hobbit movie we're like no 
you you've ended in the middle of a sequence like what are you doing movie like you can't do that um, there's a cliffhanger and then there's that yeah exactly it's not a cliffhanger in the middle of a sequence like that's just <laughs> extending your franchise to three movies when it doesn't need to be and that's honestly what kills felt like is like you just made a trilogy to make money and really you didn't because you dropped it on peacock same day just like you're doing with ends like you don't have to pay in theory you don't have to pay because peacock uh there you only get halloween through the premium service but i know that if you're an xfinity customer here in the states peacock's included in yeah. almost every xfinity package so most of us have it just because i have internet with them even i don't even have cable i literally just have the internet through them but i have peacock because of that I don't have to pay to see this if I don't want to. I have unlimited, so I'm going to go see it in the theater where I should have seen. I didn't see Kills in the theater. It's my mm -hmm. only regret. I, I don't know if I would have liked it more, but I do wish I'd gone to the theater because it definitely was not a, a movie that I was compelled to watch while I was watching it at home. I was like ready to check out. The power of Christ times. didn't compel you. So you, sir, being the biggest Exorcist fan that I've ever met... Uh, granted, we've only met this way, but you know what I'm saying? I don't know anyone else who loves it as much as you. And obviously, it's a beloved film, but you are the mega fan from my perspective. What does this make you think, sir? Well, I'm currently looking up at my Exorcist uh, shelves. I've got two Reagan dolls. I've got the books. I've got the DVDs. A great VHS set that my brother bought me. I've got a custom-drawn Father Karras, um image which is pencil drawn and it's unbelievable i've got the vans shoes recently and a duck with reagan it's great i love it um this uh yeah i'm with you on on the david gordon green thing had this come out four years ago the the news especially been confirmed i would have been very excited now what i'm worried about with this reboot is that we're going to get a really decent a really solid follow-up so this the first one's going to be very good because it's going to lean hard into the first one we know ellen burson's coming back he's got leslie odom jr who i think is great he's in it um mm. but then the next two films i kind of feel we're going to go the halloween kills and pro probably ends route where it just becomes this detached nonsense and they're both slated to drop uh only on peacock as well Unless the unless this first film blows the box office apart, parts two and three are going straight to streaming. That's already been confirmed, um, oh, wow. which does worry me somewhat as well. And I've, as far as I'm aware, Ellen Burstyn, I think I read that she's already filmed quite a few of her scenes, owing to obviously her advancing years. They've they've captured as many of her scenes as possible already. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's just ones by herself, and she's going to get together with the cast. The exciting thing for me is we don't know who the cast is. We know Ellen Burstyn's in it, and we know Leslie Odom Jr.'s in it. Uh, there may or may not have been one other person that I can't remember. Uh, no word on Linda Blair yet. She said she hasn't been um, approached, but you've got to imagine she's going to be in it. Um, and as far as I know, the story revolves around Leslie Odom Jr.'s character. His son, I think, is pro probably possessed, so he seeks out Chris McNeil, Ellen Burstyn, for some kind of advice or help on how to deal with this or handle it. Um, which okay, or admittedly sounds f fine, <laughs> but um, at, at what point you know, you, you mentioned IP just now, and Halloween and The Exorcist are two films which absolutely sh should never be called IPs, and that's not you, that's Hollywood. Yeah, now, those two films don't need to be franchises, same with something like Scream. If you really think about the first film, it's just a couple of teenagers who, who are angry and upset at someone, so they kill their group of friends. You don't really need to follow it up, but I see money talks. Um, I kind of wonder, like, are they going to stretch out an exorcism for three films? 
Or is Leslie Oden Jr.'s kid going to be fine by the end of the first one, at the first reboot? And then what do you do for the next two? I just kind of, and if that's the case, isn't isn't this legacy called just the first film, basically? I worry, I worry, worry about the trilogy format now in Hollywood in general. Halloween has shown that. Even the Hobbit mm. film showed that. Trilogies yeah. are out of fashion now. People in the Star Wars fandom say, give this what? director a trilogy. And you think, do you need one? Because the trilogy is a well-worn format anyway, and you kind of know the beats that's going to happen. Film one, film two, and film three, what's going to happen in each. But, I mean, I, Halloween could have been, you know, David Gordon Green could have done a duology, but I don't think that sounds as sexy. And this thing here, I don't know what the story is, so I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to give fairness there. I don't even yeah. know. This needs to be a trilogy. But to your question, though, John, because it's a sequel or a follow and it's not a reboot, I am cautiously excited for this. I would never not be excited. I mean, they're following on from the greatest film of all time and they get bringing Ellen Burstyn back. And that's always a huge win. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see where they take it. As long as they keep that grounded kind of the, 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 the classic freaking documentary feel to it. And they focus on the characters and the struggle between good and evil and faith and, um, everything else keep that embedded because that is the film that's a dna as long as they keep that that they've got a good film on their hands and i would love to go into this film john and come out and say that was superb i mm-hmm. that's what i want that's what i want but it's yeah, the second or third same, ones which scare me what are they going to do yeah i didn't even realize the trilogy part. I, I think i did but i didn't realize the the they were going to peacock right away because that is yes you know, like Disney used to plan sequels for their animated stuff that was going to be straight to VHS. And they were always less than um, by nature. Like that was the plan. They were going to be a little lower budget, you know, not as, not as meticulous, probably not have the original voice cast because they're too high dollar. So that is concerning. Um, It's a different time though. Streaming does not inherently mean lesser quality. Like realistically, we've seen like the Irishman get dropped on Netflix. Like, you know, movies with big budgets (laughs) and great cast have been streaming exclusives. But it doesn't bode well that that's their plan for a mega franchise. Mega franchise is strong. Let's be real. The Exorcist brand was damaged by the sequels, right? Like, uh, there's so many. The second one is, well, you've seen it now. It's not good. And I think the third one's very good. But then you get the prequels, which aren't good. And it bears repeating, though, just to your point, that this this announcement that the, the parts two and three would go to Peacock was made before the film even films even went into production so it won't it's not a so for, just in case the word gets out years down the line this isn't a knee-jerk reaction that oh my god these scripts are awful stick them on strip this was always the plan yeah. so we've got to yeah. remember that uh, unless the first one does bonkers at the box office then they're always supposed to be going to streaming yeah and it is it is weird the sequel element of that franchise is weird anyways, because it is like, well, who do you follow? Cause it yeah. made sense to follow Reagan to a degree, but then it's like, well, at the same time, it's like, well, okay, that's just, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Although to be fair, a heretic is very different um, with yeah. how they approach the, the what's going on. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope it's good. I hope they have an interesting take on it at least. Cause it is, it, it does feel like it's just going to be like, are we just going to get the same thing? again and again and again because kind of all the exorcist movies it's like kid gets possessed it's terrifying something happens usually i mean there's a resolution of positive nature to some capacity you know it's not all it's i wouldn't call it a happy ending at the end of the exorcist but you know overall good things are are okay you know there's some sad stuff that happens but um 
And exorcism movies are generally crap anyway. Since then, as well, there's not many. I can probably count on one hand how many good exorcism films have come since the 70s. There have been some cool exorcism scenes. Like, I actually think that the Constantine um, exorcism scene is really well done and, like, scary and, like, interesting play on. I think there's a mirror sequence in that in that moment that was really cool like how he uses mirrors or something if yeah. i'm i might be mixing scenes but i i i really like that that scene but the movie's not exclusively about that right like because there's yeah, a, no, a whole no. bigger plot that's just part of constantine's world i think stuff like that can work it is it when you when the the plot is exorcism there's only really one path that it can take and we have one coming out in a couple weeks we have the prey for pray me, for the devil. Pray, pray for the devil. That's a, yeah. Pray with a R E Y, guys. Uh, just to clarify. Very um, clever, yeah. Yeah, it's a good pun. Um, and it's a woman exorcist, so we're getting that. You know, we're changing uh, it up. But yeah, um, that's that's probably more know, than maybe. enough on that. But I know that's a big, uh, a big, obviously hot button topic for you because you are a fan of at least. To be fair. If this franchise reboot thing sucks, it doesn't matter. Your movie still exists. So someone the other day is that even generally did, even if this one is awful, it doesn't impact the, the first film. Uh, n- none of them do not even the heretic or anything. That's what this, the, your, that franchise is proof of that, right? Because it has, <laughs> that movie has survived despite the many despite shitty sequels. That. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. I spoke over it. So nobody heard. There anyone did hear. Cover your ears. But, yeah, no, I. Uh, it, there's a chance of it being very good, as long as they don't go too mad and start having pea soup sickness and the devil saying awful words just to shock see, people. That's you not said what the that first was about. I could see there being a moment where, like, uh, the the main character comes home and he just has like a a shopping bag full of pea soup. Like, it's just like a inside. That feels like the type of thing David Gordon Green. That's exactly do. what he's going to do, especially if he's got um, what's the guy called Cowboy Hat guy who's writing the Halloween. Danny sequence. McBride. I yes. could not think of his name. Well, here's the thing. Sorry, sorry, but they wrote Halloween, right? Twenty eighteen. I don't know if they wrote Kills, but he's not credited as a writer for Ends. It's a different writer for Ends very interesting so i don't know where that changed because i was under the impression that they wrote those together and apparently at some point something changed um because i was looking at that uh this morning i was like wait a minute he's not the writer and uh see someone else on letterbox has just posted their two-star review of n so i'm like sean's probably going to be the weird anomaly uh on this one classic tuna but um oh okay they are credited they're just not the only credited writer i apologize imdb just showed the other guy uh paul brad logan i think was who they showed on imdb but letterbox shows all him and mcbride and gordon green and chris vernier no idea no scott teams helped to write um halloween kills so he's obviously been booted off for halloween ends but look i I think danny mcbride is on board for the exorcist as well but listen uh, as as long as the first sequel is good and we kind of have that anticipation like we had for Halloween, then great. But I, it, it, it's the second and third parts that scare me, John. But we'll find out next year. I'm very, very excited. I think it's October, obviously. 2023, this film is due to release and pretty sure we'll be covering it on the BAMP um, as long as it's good. But uh, let's move on then to my headline, JB. It kind of follows a similar path to what we were touching upon just now. And this one's from Screen Rant. It's written by Timothy McClelland. And it's Martin Scorsese slams Hollywood, judging movies based on their box office. While speaking at the New York Film Festival, Martin Scorsese slammed Hollywood for heavily judging a movie's worth 
on box office returns. Now he was on stage talking about the state of cinema um, to introduce his documentary, uh, the New York dolls. And he said this, I'll read it out quickly verbatim and then get your thoughts, JB. He said, since the eighties, there's been a focus on numbers. It's kind of repulsive. The cost of a movie is one thing. Understand that a film costs a certain amount. They expect to at least get that amount back. Plus again, Mm-hmm. The emphasis is now on numbers, cost, the opening weekend, how much it made in the States, how much it made in England, how much it made in Asia, how much it made in the entire world and how many viewers it got. As a filmmaker and as a person who can't imagine life without cinema, I always find it really insulting. I've always known that such considerations have no place at the New York Film Festival. And here's the key also with this. There are no awards here. You don't have to compete. You just have to love cinema. Yep. So uh, Martin Scorsese, the MCU's biggest fan, is coming out again in defense of pure cinema. And, you know, love him or hate him, you cannot deny Martin Scorsese's opinion well, on anything. And that's coming off of the the other controversial essay about Martin Scorsese, where a guy claimed yeah, that, that was, he's uneven. Jesus, that was the ultimate in clickbait, that was. And it worked. Yeah. Yeah, El Toro called him out and said, don't be, well, who, who's this schmuck, basically? But, yeah. um, so Scorsese is saying, you know, the, the beauty of cinema is not to judge it by awards, not to judge it by how much it made around the world or, and, and let's, let's throw into it. He didn't say this, but a, a critic aggregate score, whether it's Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, mm-hmm. Letterbox, all of that means nothing when it comes to the, the quality of a film. You've just mentioned, um, uh, Tuna is raving about Halloween ends. Now people might not think that's high art, but that doesn't matter. That's not the point. Um, it's art is art, man. Art is art, and it's subjective. If Juno thinks that is one of the best films he's seen all year, then it doesn't matter if it gets one out of five on letterbox or if it bombs at the box office or it fails in China. And that is, that is true. We've mentioned, we've spoken about the worth of film so many times on this show, but for Scorsese to come out and well, he's backing us up here, but to talk about it as well, I just wanted to get your take on it. I mean, I think he's right here. I don't think at the end of the day, let, who cares if a film, so, we, and we're talking about Amsterdam as well, it's going to be a bomb, but there'll be someone out there who loves this, John. So what do you think? I know about- a few. Um, I, I, uh, I'm a, a big Scorsese fan, but not just mm-hmm. his movies. Like I, I love hearing him discuss cinema as actually as a film teacher, he has a world film project um, that he's advocated for like programs like mine to exist basically he provides resources and things like that through this program um that we can use and like suggest what film there's curriculum um and while i don't do it because i like to do my own curriculum i yeah. i did use it as a starting point i like i took a lot of ideas from it and i love hearing filmmakers talk about how much they love film like most of that generation of the the hollywood brats you know spielberg and lucas and um uh, De Palma and uh, for Coppola, they came out having loved movies. That's why they went to film school. It wasn't because they were looking to get rich. Granted, it, there's always that level. They are all rich. Like all of these men have made tons of money. Obviously, Lucas maybe being the most lucrative, although Spielberg has made more overall. But I, you know, yeah. Lucas creating Star Wars and then selling it for what ten billion or whatever it was, uh, four um, billion plus four billion. All the money he's made since the seventies with that clever toy uh, percentage in his contract. Yep. So, you know, it's it is always hard to like. Well, you you guys are super wealthy saying that, but at the same time, 
like movies should the problem is that so many movies are turned down because they don't think it's going to make money or a movie like bros does well it made its box office it made its cost back like it made the budget but because it didn't hit like a hundred million dollars in the first weekend people are like oh it's a failure it's like no it, it found an audience there's an audience for bros like whether i mean you make a movie like that you right now especially you know there's going to be an audience who is immediately against it and won't yeah, go see it you know almost out of protest but the fear now and i think what score says he's getting at is that hollywood won't green light movies if they don't make a certain amount of money or if they don't see it making a certain amount of money and that's scary because they yeah, are yeah, they're the gatekeepers, and if the gatekeepers are going to start limiting what can come through the gate, it's going to be a, a nightmare. And of course, who keeps that gate has gotten more and more narrow as Disney has bought a bunch of studios, and the studio systems are getting kind of like the old days, where there's far few, and they're they're only willing to make movies that they see as surefire things. So I'm all in with what Scorsese's saying, and I, I really hope we see a shift. I want to see more companies like A24 and Neon... Um, and a lot of the other indie stuff, like Sony Classic Pictures, is still you know goes through Sony and Focus. Yeah, is, yeah. Uh, I forget who Focus is under, but Focus is under another major studio. Uh, I'll say Universal. Uh, I want to say. I think you're correct. I want to see those studios branch out of the big studios. Um, and with technology, it feels like it should be easier for that to happen, and it it's not. You know, it, it is. Um, there's more independent people making movies. Like there's a lot of independent productions that are happening without a studio and they're selling their movies at various festivals, but that's still like, it's not easy for everyone to do that anymore. How many times have we seen something at a festival that we think is fantastic and nobody knows it exists, even if it gets distribution because it's so buried in the streaming stuff where they just dump it on a streaming service yep. and you don't even know about it. And um, there is so much content being made that people would there there's an audience but there's just lack of knowledge lack of awareness you know you and i and like people like us who are not only movie lovers but we we actively try to see things so that we can spread the word you know we're the evangelist of cinema yes. and even then like we we see stuff like there will be a movie come up. I'm like, Hey, how did I not know that existed? You know? And yeah, I yeah. actively look for it. You know, I'm like everything on my social media is just other people talking about movies. And yet I will still be late to something and it's mind blowing. So of course, someone who only hears about movies through trailers, isn't going to watch something they've never seen. Cause they don't know it exists. So I would, I all in on what Scorsese says, let's make more movies. Let's, you know, don't just, judge movies by their box office and i i've i've definitely been bitter towards avatar for years because i'm like why is this the <laughs> highest grossing film of all time it's not the greatest movie of all time i do think it's a very good movie i think it's obviously brilliantly made in terms of visuals and technology but we do look at box office and we give it weight that it shouldn't have because we know money is money talks right like if people are willing to put that much money to see something there is there's an inherent value to it, but it's not the be all end all. And I think that's true too, with the aggregate scores for the, the critics. I think there's something there. I look at those, but it doesn't, I don't usually let that sway my opinion. I often will be like, Ooh, I'm on the wrong side of this one or whatever. You know, like I'm like, everyone hates this. I enjoyed it. Or everyone loves this. I don't know why. Like it, it, and every once in a while it works out where we're like, Hey, we're in the consensus. We agree. This works. And I'm fine with that. But I do think there are people who won't go see something 
because it has a low score or will only go see something because it has a high score. And that, that's a problem. But, yeah, no, that, that's not right. And it, 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 it's those aggregators, or more specifically, the box office, which can make fans' dreams come true. I mean, how many times do we look at a Marvel film or a DC and think, oh, man, that only made 600 million. I thought it was going to make a billion. As if that's a normal, rational thing to say. Yeah. Oh, it did make a billion. Think, quantify that amount in your head, a billion dollars. Um, but if said film doesn't make a billion dollars, are we going to get the follow-up? Are the fans going to get to see the second part of the story that they've been dreaming of seeing on the comic book film or uh, Star Wars or whatever they're going to see? Look how look what Solo did for the landscape. Um, so studios are the gatekeepers, like you say. But Scorsese, he's a man who had put one of his last films on Netflix and his next film, Killers of the Flower Moon, is an Apple TV um, original. So... Yep. Which there we just always, lost. We have, somebody yeah, dropped off. Back. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, it's been, I know it's been pushed back and a lot of people were quite upset about it, but it's these streaming series now or services which can provide the olive branch. We've been saying it for years that streaming won't kill cinema. Streaming might save pure cinema and the theatres may have the, the tentpole films one day. And to your list of studios, I agree. I'd, I'd throw an IFC in there as well. I'm very, always yeah. generally very impressed by what they what they drop. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with what you say and how you said it and with what Scorsese says as well, JB. So uh, let's see how we get on next week when we're talking about the box office and the run tomato score for Halloween ends. But hey, we, we're object- we're subjective here. We know we're, we're good guys. Uh, let's move on now to media consumption, JB, the movies, TV series, streaming series, video games, music, podcasts, which aren't ours whatever we've done or absorbed or consumed to pass the time since the last episode. And you've always got a fine list, JB. So what you got? So, uh, blank check continues with this Kubrick stuff. I think, uh, they did 2001 last week. I think I might be at the Barry Lyndon episode next week and I have not made time to watch that. So I'm going to have to try to figure out when I can fit that in. (laughs) Um, I uh, listened to an audiobook. I've I've had an audiobook on hold for my library, like to uh, to be able to check it out. I've been in a line, right? Like, so it was like ten people behind. But I was recommended The Silent Patient by two different friends within a year. Like last year, someone recommended it. I forgot about it. Another friend recommended it recently. I finally got the book. Man, it's super compelling. I was really really into it. And I'm there's uh, it, it looks like it's trying to get adapted to film. It's still in the very like writing phase of it. But I would be very intrigued to see, like, if Fincher or honestly, I think Nolan would have a kick out of this. Um, I don't think Nolan would do this necessarily. I feel like he likes to do his original scripts, but I think there's mm-hmm. a, a Nolan element to it that I think he would be like perfect for. But um, movie wise, for the most part, I've been uh, keeping up with the 31 Days of Halloween. Nice. Uh, so uh, I caught Hocus Pocus for um, the for the kitties topic from the Nightmare on Film Street. Um, I did catch Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Not a bad movie. Gonna say it. I had fun with that movie. It is Shawn a family Mendes movie film. for sure. Huh? Shawn Mendes film? Yes, the Shawn Mendes. I mean, kind of. Javier Bardem is like the lead. And the kid is actually pretty solid. And uh, Constance Wu, um, yes. so good. They're, that's my favorite sequence in the film. Uh, her and, and Lyle Lyle have a really great moment. I think is excellent. Um Super, super fun family kind of feels like a throwback to like Harry and the Hendersons or like Beethoven, you know, where like you have the, the creature slash uh, pet that brings a family together. That's kind of like not sure about themselves. It has that kind of vibe to it. So 
it's not like a masterpiece, but the songs are fun. Again, if you hate Sean Mendes, you're probably not going to like the movie because it I sounds mind. like Sean Mendes. But I don't mind him, so I was good. Um, watched Oculus for the first time. Uh, okay. That one was for underrated because um, it, it's not my underrated, but like I looked for underrated horror films and that one popped up on a list. I'm like, I've been meaning to watch that because Flanagan liked Oculus uh, a lot. At first, I wasn't sure. And then as the movie got like deeper and deeper, deeper, I was like, okay, wow, this is really interesting how they're like showing everything. Um, I watched Arachnophobia, which I had, I'd missed. Oh, I love um, that film. Horror comedy, man, dude, Jeff uh, Daniels is killing it in that movie. Um, <laughs> I, I actually thought John Goodman was going to be in it more, but no, he's great when he's in it. Man. Yeah. But man, he's really good when he's in it. Yeah. That movie, a lot of fun. And then, um, for multiple monsters, I watched Tremors. Yeah, which I've never seen Tremors. Um, I like that film a lot as well, dude. Way that movie swings above its weight class. Like it should not be that good. Like it is. It is way too much fun. The characters are phenomenal, and uh, like Kevin, I I didn't realize how old it was because like Kevin Bacon's still like super young in that movie. Like it's only what like four or five years after Footloose or something. It's It's eighty-eight. Yeah, Bacon Uh, is sizzling, dude. Oh, honestly, I like uh, Fred. Is it Fred Willard? No, it's Fred not Fred Willard. Willard. Yep. No, it, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. That uh, sounds. Uh, if it's not, it sounds a lot like it. it is Fred Willard? I'm sure it is. Yeah, it's Fred, Fred something. Willard, yeah, I, I, man, he's so good in that. Like he, it's like you're almost like, why don't you get more lead roles? Because a lot of times he's in movies, he's like a side character or maybe the villain, and like he's super charismatic in that movie where like their friendship is like country Bill and Ted almost. Like it's they're they're great. I loved way too much like that movie is should not be that much fun it like, is. It's, it's fred ward by the way fred ward, fred ward that's it that's willard it. is ariana uh, richard is in it as well with the uh, girl from jurassic park yes oh oh is she Only, the little girl on the she's the little girl yeah uh man okay i didn't even put that together um and then the kid from uh the wonder years the not not fred savage but the brother is uh oh, the obnoxious uh, not finn carter yeah. is it finn carter i don't know it may I, be. I never remember that kid's name but he's yeah dude Oh, and Reba McIntyre, like, crushing it uh, real hard in that film. Yeah, like, Bert's the, wife, yeah. Yeah, dude, uh, I didn't realize how... I knew there were a lot of sequels. I didn't realize that Bert is in, like, all of them, though. Same He's actor. Like, them, yeah, yeah I've, I've only seen Tremors, uh, but, yeah. Su- surprised how much I liked it. it as a kid, I, I think it maybe was a little scary, but I also kind of, like, it looks stupid because I was trying to be cool, but it also, I think I was maybe too afraid in 88. And then I just, like, always shrugged it off as it's, like, a B-movie. If nah. it is a B movie, and I guess some people might still classify it as that, it's like top tier B movie stuff. It, it is I, real, I'd real. Call good. it a B movie still, but it is. But that's yeah. not to its detriment. My brother used to watch this all a lot. He used to watch a lot of films like this, so I remember it being on. And there's a moment in it involved. Again, I'm not going to spoil the film, but uh, Victor Wong, who stars as Walter Chan, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. owns the shop there, there's a scene with him, and I'll just say that. Which, as a kid, I was like, "Oh my god, that's terrifying." But yeah, the idea as a kid of this film was very scary not being able to kind of walk because these things can sense sense vibration um i will say though i was like 10 minutes into it and i realized uh part of the creature design that i didn't know going in and i got worried that i violated the the topic because it's called multiple monsters and i was like oh no is there only one and then there were multiple i was like thank goodness because i was like my whole thing because tremors i assumed plural meant there were many 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 of these creatures there's not as many as I thought, but there is still multiple. It There's still qualifies. One. And it's all yeah. practical as well. All practical. That's even more wild when you, I, I, obviously I know that, but yeah, um, there is some, uh, some bad, like, um, 
chroma key stuff in it though there's a couple yeah. of shots where like oh that looks that doesn't look great but yeah it's it's 88 so that's fine and it, i assume fairly low budget movie but it it's a million yeah super fun though i i that's that's one i could easily i kind of regret that i i waited this long to watch it because that's one i could totally come back to many times and just have fun with it so uh, yes, that's a film which I haven't seen for. It's on Netflix, so I may uh, put that on my uh, October my Halloween watch list because it's a lot of fun as well as being a little bit scary as well, especially for the little ones. Um, also, I, did you watch I anything am, on TV, JB? I was about to say I, I I'm up to date outside of the finale for She Hulk, which dropped today when we we're recording this. I have not seen that yet, but I've seen up through I think it's episode eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I've enjoyed She Hulk. Uh, I like the tone. I I think it's super funny. Um, and I don't think it's a spoiler because the, the pictures were up like instantly last week, but we finally get to see Matt Murdock, um, and Daredevil and man, Charlie Cox just owns that character and it was great to have him back. Uh, yep. Still haven't seen it past episode three. I think it was, but it, any more, more to the point in that John knows me very well. I'm very, I'm bad at commitment when it comes to long form shows, apart from something like, and or which I'm sticking with because- we do a recap on it each week. We even said that at the end of our recent recap is, you know, episode six, I think is the best bit of star Wars I've seen on TV ever as in, as in a TV series streaming. It's the best episode I've ever seen. Um, and there are elements in it, which even blow some of the films out of the water. It's funny what you can do when you just have, when you just have characters and you focus on characters and you don't cut away to what's going on everywhere else. And you don't introduce uh, unnecessary th- uh, strands and th- and thread, and you put the run- the budget in the right places, not just you and McGregor's pocket in Kenobi. But of course, if the next six episodes of Andor aren't very good, we're still going to cover it. So, um, kind of have to watch it. But Andor episode six, I think, was um, just an actual, uh, all in just a very good episode of TV. But it's the best Star Wars episode I've seen. Hopefully, the next ones will be even better. Uh, I've been listening to the Nightmare on Film Street podcast. They interviewed David Bruckner, the director of Hellraiser, the 2022 um, edition. A good, good interview. It's interesting to get the uh, thoughts of the man who wrote it, his process of making it, kind of reverence for the other films, which I was surprised by. And um, yeah, good interview. I listened to a, an episode, uh, a podcast called The Horror Show as well, where it's two dudes from, I think they're Ohio, I think just talking about horror in a way I like where it's very, it's not unfiltered to the point of it being um, all like bad mannered, if you will, but it's, it feels real. And I listen to them absolutely destroy Halloween kills and bring up things, which I'd never really kind of considered as to uh, like, dude, why does this happen? This has nothing, this isn't this. And I was listening thinking I've got a newfound dislike for this film because <laughs> I, because of this episode, I was like, they are, they are dunking on it more than i've ever heard but it is all based on what happens on screen why is this happening this makes no sense when you look back at the last film this has nothing to do with that why are they it, it's very good it's very funny um in terms of films i watch trick or treat because tis the season jb question for you on trick or treat i know you saw that on the big screen and i'll always be jealous of you mm-hmm. can you envisage watching that film outside of this season i mean i october or just this season can you imagine watching trick or treat in the height of summer and i know it's always summer in florida but can you imagine watching it in like may when it's really hot uh i mean i don't think so it feels just, it it feels, feels right. like halloween yeah yeah 
Exactly. No, that was it. I can't. I can only watch it at this time of the year. And that's not a detriment to the film because I think it's the best film of all time set on Halloween. Um, because in the film, Halloween is a character in the film. It isn't John Carpenter's Halloween. I think you could put that on any night of the year and you get the same film, I think. Um, or you get pretty much the same film. You can't do that with trick or treat. Um, I, I watched a, an, another anthology called Symphony, which is more of a low budget anthology that's under embargo. So I'm not allowed to talk about it, but, uh, got us, I think one of the, one of the hosts of Nightmare and Film Street has a, has a, uh, short film in that so that was part of the mm. reason why i watched wanted to see it see if it's any good and one of the girls from hosts Haley bishop i think she does one as well and maybe another director whom i've heard of uh is in it as well but uh symphony I can't say anything about i had to actually put embargo on the sheet because last time i broke it by saying what i thought about it so i can't now um london film festival i've been covering films from the film festival i haven't put them all on the sheet because i've been watching a few um the kind of non-gala films obviously every festival has their big hitters and there's a lot of kind of non-gala ones um i watched a i watched a film called the woman in the white car which i thought was uh i thought that's very decent a film called sick of myself a drama i thought that was very good i saw a documentary john called hidden letters a documentary oh, I, I enjoyed that i know it's, I'm, I'm, I'm going up in the world uh 1976 is a drama i like that as well a short film called Rosemary AD, Rosemary After Dad. I watched that. It's a kind of cartoon, a crayon animation film about a dad who um, he's, he's cradling his newborn baby, a kid's just been introduced to the world, and he's envisaging what the kid's life would be if he wasn't around. Sounds morbid. It kind of is, but it's also uplifting, sad, poignant, and it wrecked me a little bit. Um, so I've been watching a lot from LFF, but I also managed to catch The Whale, the Aronofsky Brendan Fraser film, The Whale. Yes. Um, this film, well, let's cut to the chase. Brendan Fraser is that good in this film. He is that good. He, and everyone's talking about a one particular moment which breaks them. It got me as well. There's a moment in it where he just delivers a monologue and it is heart wrenching to what it is an emotional slap to the face, kick to the gut, and everything. Mm. He's so good in this film. I don't think the film is going to work for everyone. It worked for me. I think the film's good. It, you know, it, it, it kind of comes with the Aronofsky te- territory now, I guess, but it isn't going to work for everyone. It is going to be divisive in terms of the quality of the film. So I don't know how the whale is going to do when it comes to award season, if we're looking that far ahead. But if Brendan Fraser isn't the front runner or even wins a damn best actor, it's going to take so one hell of a performance to knock him off because he is transformative in this role, JB. Um, I'm so glad I got to I got to watch it. I was hoping to watch She Said, but uh, I didn't get into that screening. You still have to kind of apply, and it's it's ridiculous. But I have a few uh, uh, grudges to bear with the LFF and their organization and uh, and allocations i don't think it's very good at all but that's a story for an email and i'll send to them off air um now i was going to watch halloween ends john uh mm. last year i went to the halloween kills multimedia screen in the uk i was offered the same this year do you want to come to london and watch halloween ends no come on up you know see it early i thought i got the email i thought nope i do not fancy watching that and that it, 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 that's a, is, it kind of crushes me a little bit inside because you know I love my horror films uh, but Halloween Kills there's such a sour taste in my mouth I was like you know what I have no interest in seeing Halloween ends early I don't care if it's if, if, if there's an invitation that's been or who has extended the invite I don't care I, the last one was CAC 
I'm going to, you know, I don't want to spend 20 or 20, 25 pounds to get on the train on a cold evening, get back late and probably, and I use that word, you know, they're probably not enjoy this film because the last one stank the place so much, you know, and that's so I would have said Halloween kills and been able to say, yeah, I've seen it and we'll talk about it next week. But no, man, I turned down that chance and I'm going to watch it like you with my unlimited card um tomorrow when we're recording this i'm going to go and watch it for free well for the cost of petrol which is certainly not 25 quid and you know i hope i'm wrong john i hope i come out and think oh damn i wish i'd seen that with too. mark commode and all those guys but no I'm, i don't i don't care <laughs> the last one was so bad i don't want to dead ass didn't want to see it and it kind of killed me a little bit but um halloween enzo maybe we'll be back we'll mention that again in a minute but we hope that film is bloody awesome. Tuna thinks it is. Let's see what we do. But until then, we have to find ways to stay bloody awesome in between creating these bloody awesome shows for you guys. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not. John, how have you been staying bloody awesome this week? Well, this week, uh, we had one day this week uh, where we had uh, PSAT testing, and ninth grade does not do that. So um, I volunteered uh, along with a few other teachers in different areas to take like a big group of, of ninth grade. And then they would rotate to our different sessions. So I did a session on our ma- like um, kind of our philosophy about being like a student at our school, like what it means to be a student at our school. Uh, and, you know, it's not something everybody wants to do. Ninth grade kind of gets, you know, they're immature, they're new to the school. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, negativity, I think, in, in general directed, even ironically, uh, when ninth graders become 10th graders, they immediately hate ninth graders. Like there's this just yeah, weird, yeah. like, the same happens uh, here. Yeah, it's it's tradition and it's it's wrong. And I keep trying to encourage them to break that cycle. Like you don't have to be mean to next year's ninth graders. Like, no, we're gonna. I'm like, but why? But um, so, you know, uh, I had three sessions yesterday. Um, I had some uh, colleagues that were with me, but it was basically my my session that it was uh, I only had like two days notice to create the thing, but I've been with the school for a long time now. So I, I know the school really well. And um I think they went really well. It was fun. I had a couple of students come up uh, in, like while they were getting ready to change sessions and um, genuinely thank me. They don't have me as a teacher, but they were like, I've heard things about you and I, I, I see why kind of thing. And it was like, wow, that nice. was really nice. You, you didn't have to come up and tell me that. So I'm grateful that you, you wanted to, you know, that you felt compelled. Um, so stuff like that, you know, when you put in a lot of effort, especially if something, there's no grade, there's no, there's nothing attached to this for them. It was literally, you're going to be with me today. That's it. Never, you may never see me again. Can I, you know, can I handle a room like that? It's kind of like Burke talk. It's like Ted talk, but with me. Yeah. Um, and it went, it went really well. It was, it was uh, encouraging always when stuff like that goes well, exhausting at the same time, but encouraging. It's mentally draining as well, isn't it? With that anxiety in the back of your mind the yeah. whole time. But, um, you know, those kids have got the right idea. Be like Burke. And uh, I'm glad to hear that it went well and they appreciated your educational and teacher talents as much as they should, JB. Um, mine isn't mine. mine I've just mentioned mine. I've, I've just been covering London Film Festival. I'm talking about not wanting to go to London for a, 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 a on a crappy night to go and watch Halloween ends, but I'll do it to go and watch The Whale. Um, yeah, just covering the film festival. I, I enjoy covering film festivals. Usually, John and myself do it together, whether that's Tribeca or Fantasia, if they let me in. Um, is there something about the the unknown I find about a film festival, but with uh, invariably we we, both of us seem to always get that burnout after the first week we kind of jump into it so much that by the second week we think oh man i'm gonna do that again watch like 15 more things and then find the energy to write about it um but it's the hope that you can find that that film or those film one or two films that are 
excellent to kind of make trudging through some of the some of the more average efforts which is just um by by sheer numbers there's always going to be some which aren't great but there's usually one or two which are superb and that's why i'm hoping to find with lfcc mainly for the kind of the non-gala films and non uh the the, the ones that aren't your glass glass onion or she said and stuff like that hoping to find one that jumps out so far i've seen a lot of good ones but none which i'd say are spectacular but no i just enjoy covering the film festival john because like you said you and i and i imagine most of you guys listening are fans of film whether that's the big film small films everything between we just love film um so covering the film festival is a is a fun treat and a, is a nice honor to do and uh other than the organisation and the admin side of it, I'm uh, I'm enjoying it, John. I'd say it's currently been bloody awesome so far. And uh, that's going to bring an end to this week's bloody awesome movie podcast episode where we spoke about Amsterdam. And next week, we will be talking about Halloween ends, as John says in parenthesis, hopefully Halloween ends. Uh, where people are already talking about where the franchise goes next. And I'm thinking, well, have we not seen what this damn film is called? Halloween ends. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be giving our non-spoiler and spoiler-filled uh, thoughts. Fear not, though, we will be open-minded and we hope to enjoy it. Uh, until then, though, John, uh, we can, we'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on Amsterdam. Find us online uh, on Twitter, at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And on Instagram, we are... At bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. You can find me online at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, uh, across all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You'll find me there. JB, where are you? I'm at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms. And in the drive through for Dunkin' Donuts, getting four more than he bargained for. And I'm yep. insanely jealous. However, with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blah, 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 blah.